The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. And this morning, as you're flipping to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, we're going to be talking about the wisdom of God. Who gets the wisdom of God? Who doesn't get the wisdom of God? What is the wisdom of God, and how can we have it in our lives? Because stupidity is everywhere, including here, including there. And our perspective, our perspective on what is wisdom must come from God's word and nowhere else. This is my favorite thing. Whenever I hear the audio Bible, I almost know beyond a shadow of a doubt whose phone it is. Was that my father-in-law's phone? Someone please say amen. Was it your phone, Charlie? I love it so much. I love it. My wife is like, not my phone. That's my dad's phone. You just took your dad and slung him under the school bus. You get under the bus, dad. It's happened at staff meeting like two or three times. It just, you're, first, yes. Next time, say 1 Corinthians written. That's, that's what we do. You might, never mind. Okay. Jesus, Jesus, we're coming here to look in your word, the word that's about you, the word that was inspired by your spirit to point weary, tired, broken, wretched people to you, to look at the cross. God, there are so many prevailing thoughts today. There are so many people who think they know and who say things. And Lord, today I'm going to stand here and I pray that I wouldn't speak from my wisdom, that I wouldn't speak from my knowledge, but that I would speak from your wisdom, from your word, and with your knowledge. God, help us remove the distractions. Help us to not rely on our own strength, but to throw ourselves upon your mercy and wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We're going to read a little, unpack a little. If you're new, that's how we do it. And if you're just joining us, I'm very excited. Because last week we talked about the simple truth of the good news of Jesus. And Paul wanted to stay on topic. This is the simple truth. Jesus is king. We take back the crown, give it back to Jesus. He is the master. He is the Lord. And we must root our lives around the simple fact that if we are living for Christ, that means everything we do is all about Jesus. And then Paul's going to shift gears here. Because he wants to talk about wisdom. He wants to talk about you're in Christ and what does it look like to be in Christ. How do you have the wisdom of God to know how to walk with God, to know how to walk like God wants you to walk? And here's what he says to the Corinthian church, the church that had gone wild, the church that had been fighting, the church that had been disagreeing, the church that had been saying, I follow this pastor, I follow that pastor, the church that let sexual sin run amok, the church that was constantly favoring the rich to the neglect of the poor. Paul says this, yet among the mature, the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. We'll pause there for a moment. Uh, we, I want us to think about something here because we're looking at the wisdom of God. Who gets it? Who doesn't get it? And, and how do we get it? And right in the beginning, Paul says something. There's a simple truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. His perfect life lived for you. His death died on the cross for you. His resurrection from the dead. Now, I want to tell you about this 
this wisdom. And Paul says, among the mature, we impart wisdom. Now, it's very easy to think of maturity in the definition of what our culture says is mature. Like right now, if you were to point at a mature person, what attributes would you look for? Mature. What are you, what are you looking for in a mature person? Glasses. You know that's right. Hey, notice these? Maturity. Gray hair, right? My wife and I were on our way back from a class we took yesterday, and, uh, and for whatever reason, Whenever I drive, she points this out. She goes, oh, your hair's getting very silver on the side of your head. Look at all those silver hairs, she calls them. And I tell her, I'm the silver fox. And I do that to show her how mature I am. What else do you look for? Maturity. What is maturity? Because we have teenagers that are here right now. I'll bet you they hear that word from time to time. Stability. Is that maturity? Being stable. Okay. Temperance, okay. What else is maturity? What marks a mature person? Oh, wait, this is like a teacher time. And I used to be a middle school teacher. I could wait all day. I could wait till the power goes out for real. Wisdom. Self-control, discernment, wisdom. Huh? Discipline. Kindness. Ooh, I'm hearing some good words here, some hot words. Mature. Here's what mature is not. Mature is not simply defined by how many years you have lived. How many years you have lived can help maturity, but there's an interesting thing that happens. If you live a long time and you stay immature, if you stay foolish, if you stay grounded on worldly ways of thinking, let me rephrase this. When you see an old person who acts like a young person, what do you think in your mind? like a really young person, like throwing tantrums. When you see an NFL player who throws so many tantrums, the team that just signed him has to let him go before the season starts. <laughs> it's football Sunday. I have to throw that out there. When you see people acting not their age, and I'm guilty of it as a parent. I've looked at my kids and said, act your age. And literally, the oldest of my children is 10. I say, act your age. And then I think about it. What does a 10-year-old act like? Kind of dumb, right? The only reason I know that is because I was 10, and I'm now in my late 30s, and guess how I still act from time to time? Kind of dumb, right? Paul says, you want to know who gets this wisdom? The mature. But it's not the maturity as we define it. It's not maturity as in how you act or how you look. It's maturity according to the Bible. According to the Bible, maturity is those who walk in the spirit of God. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about, I long to feed you. I long to feed you with like the meat of things, but you're still infants. You're still young. You're not mature. You're, you're drinking milk, and I want to get you to the next phase of Christian life. And I think in the Bible, just so we have a common definition, maturity is when we are walking in the spirit in a way that our life exhibits the fruit of the spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not how smart you are. It's not how many books you can read. It's not how articulate you are. It's how are you leaning on the spirit of God, and how is that spirit producing in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The people of this age that Paul's talking to, he says, we, 
We're going we're gonna to give wisdom to the mature people, mature in God. We're going to give them the, the meaty things of God, but it's not a wisdom of this age. Our world, and Paul is speaking 2,000 years ago, but our world is still the same. This age will carry with it an arrogance that they know something because they are the most modern people. I don't know if you've ever heard that argument, but people will say things, if you're listening to arguments about morality or politics or philosophy or science, they'll say, well, we know better now because now is 2019. And now we are more modern than they were in 1980, than they were in 1940, than they were in the 1900s. But even in Paul's time, he says, the wisdom of this age, the things that we think in this age 2,000 years ago, they don't get it. They don't touch true wisdom because if they knew true, lasting wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And I like it, Paul says uh, in verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. God said, I've got a plan, and I'm going to put it in motion before any of this begins. And the plan this secret hidden message is for your glory, for, for your glory and my glory, that we could be with God forever. And I love it. It's, it's, almost, like, um, it's almost like a little culty, right? Like, hey, we've got this secret message. You want to come to the chapel? We got secret stuff. And I, I don't know about you, but um, this morning <laughs> I was told by one of my friends, she's here, she said, Oh, yeah, I hung out with one of my friends, and, and they said that they, they call the chapel the cult that we belong to. I said, oh, that's interesting. I've always wanted to be a cult leader, I suppose, deep down there somewhere. <laughs> what did they mean by that? And, and here's what happens. If you're outside of God's wisdom, you look inside God's wisdom, you look inside of people who are trying to navigate their lives around God's wisdom, and what it is is people who look very different from those outside, living by the world's wisdom. Because in here, we ought to forgive more than anyone forgives. And if someone messes up, we're not like out there. We're, we're people that say, I, I forgive you. If someone hurts you, slights you, gossips about you, attacks you, here we can say, Christ bore all the punishment for all that you're doing, and, and I love you, and I forgive you. I suppose looking at a church from the outside would look a little odd, and, and I had to really ponder it this week. And it's harder for me now, because now this, this fall is my 20th year in Jesus. So I had to think back 20 years. I just went back in my brain, dusting off cobwebs and corners. I thought, what, what was it that I felt like? What was it that I looked at and thought, these people are weird? Why were teenagers obsessed with a book? Why would adults stand up and sing? If you were here this morning and you don't know Jesus and the lights went out and people kept singing, you're thinking, wow, these people are odd. They sing songs even when no one's leading a song because it's not a concert. It's a worship service. We are the choir. We're singing to him. But, but if you've never experienced that, if, a, if the power goes out, maybe at some concerts you keep going, right? But at other concerts, you're like, I want my money back. The wisdom of God teaches us things about God's ways, about God's plan. 
the people who are not in Christ, walking in the Spirit of God, the people who are living by the wisdom of the world, the people who try to define God in their own terms. It's a dangerous road to play. And let me just put it in terms that you may have heard. If you talk to people about God, you'll hear people say things like this. Well, I think God is like fill in the blank. And it can be anything. And a lot of the time that people tell me that sentence, it's followed by nothing that resembles what's in God's eternal word. Now, I want you to think about the arrogance of a created being saying about the creator of all things, who sustains all life, who flung every galaxy in the universe to its reaches and pins them to their points, saying, you know what I think he's like? I mean, it's, it's so odd. It's, we can't even put it into a correct illustration because it's more insane than if, like, two bugs. I got these little fruit flies in my house right now. I don't know where they came from. I just know where I want them to go. Hell. Anyway, they're there, and they, they're just flying around, and they're attracted to screens. So if you read like a Kindle at night, that bug will land right on your Kindle. And if you smash it, then you got to clean the bug guts off your Kindle. But every night, without fail, either my iPad or my Kindle, here they come. Now here's the conversation they're not having. Hey, Fruity Fred. Yes, Fruity Flintstone. I know what Ryan is really like. I know what he's thinking right now. I know the dreams and desires of Ryan's heart. Because I'm a fruit fly. I was born on a rotting piece of banana downstairs that somebody left half open. And I lived my little larval stage of 24 hours. And now I've come up here for the great span of my 96-hour life before I die. But I know how the universe works. That fruit fly knows nothing except the bottom of my thumb wins. And that comparison between the fruit fly and me is vastly, vastly underrepresentative of the difference between God and us. His ways are higher than the heavens. The ways that he thinks and knows, the things that he controls are so vastly above us, we are not even fruit flies, and we're sitting here pondering, I know, let me tell you what God is like. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, me, let me tell you what God is like. That's why it's so important that we get into the word and understand what God's wisdom is. And here's the first thing. If you are crucifying Christ, you don't get God's plan. And you're here saying, well, he was already crucified. No one's crucifying him now. Let me put it another way. If you are denying Jesus, if you're trying to kill off the idea of Jesus, kill off the records of Jesus, trying to suppress who Jesus is and what Jesus did, then you are trying to kill Christ. I've never heard of any culture doing that. Banning God's word, conversations with God prayer, etc. We are a culture whose wisdom says, let's get rid of God's principles and replace them with our own principles. It's a dangerous, dangerous road if we begin to buy into that. If we begin to, begin to pick and choose our version of reality instead of letting reality govern and dictate our lives, the reality of who God is, what God has done, and Paul goes on to say, I'm going to read back. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, now a lot of people quote this verse about heaven. It's not, it's not about just heaven, just so we're clear. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. A lot of people say, we don't know what heaven's like. Look at this verse. It's not really talking a ton about just heaven in, as in a destination. 
Paul even says something very interesting. If you keep reading this passage, because this is often at funerals, God, we don't even know. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has in plan for those who love him. And people say, that we can't even know the blessings that, that person's in, the people that died. And then Paul says in the very next verse, these things, these things that, that we can't know and God has revealed to us. How do we get them? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And I need you to understand this. The only way that you can have the wisdom of God, the only way that you can know who God is and the truths about God are if the spirit of God is in you. Because the spirit of God, the mind of God, searches all that God knows and thinks. And when that spirit dwells within you, you have a glimpse of that. Now, I'm Simple illustration. I'm going to think of something right now. I'm going to think of something, and with all of my Miss Cleo craziness, I'm going to try to transmit it over the air into someone's brain. And I want you to tell me, if you could tell me what I'm thinking. Let me get a clear picture, because we've all seen those crazy psychic shows where visualize it, do this, visualize it. Okay, ready? I'm gonna, I got my picture right now. Okay, I'm thinking it. I'm going to zoom it out there. Some of you guys get out your tarot cards and throw those demons in the trash. Somebody tell me what I'm thinking. It's a, it's a picture in my brain that I'm thinking of right now. And if you get this, I'm going to be freaked out. Close. Not bacon. Huh? The Browns losing. I should have been thinking about that. Idolatry for Steeler Nation. Well, any other thoughts of what I might be thinking about? Skateboard? Oh, I wish, too. Should have thought about that. That would have been a good thing. So you guys are thinking about things that you've heard in my sermons. But, but... I've, I've never I've preached about this because what I'm thinking about right now is a purple. You see, you got there. You said purple. You know, it's my favorite color. I'm thinking about purple hippo wearing a Santa hat, eating collard greens. And you're like, how would we ever get that? A purple hippopotamus wearing a Santa hat, eating collard greens? Why? Because I don't know. I ate collard greens yesterday. I love hippos. I love the color purple. I'm planting a giant hippo race in the kingdom of God, and we all die and get there, okay? That's where that all came from. I don't like Santa. don't know why that's there. But none of you would have ever thought, hmm, let me read into your, no, no, you're not. And I barely passed the 12th grade. Like, I look at Lego directions sometimes and I think, nah, nah. <laughs> Silas, go get your mom. <laughs> nah. And you can't even crack into my brain. Not that many would want to, but. If you want to know who God is, there's only one way, one way to access it, and it, it has to be through the Spirit, the Spirit of God, in case you're, there's just like Trinity 101, and it's not going to make anything clear. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you're like, yeah, I never got it. I just went like this, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I don't know. And this might not clarify it for you, but I need you to understand the roles. It's one being. It's not three gods. It's one God with three persons, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit of God is this presence of God that is going within the Father's mind and the, the works and the mission of Jesus Christ. And they are all God simultaneously at the same time. But the Spirit, the Spirit knows everything that's going on. The Spirit is the wind. It's the breath. The Spirit is the, the, 
part of God's being that was going between the Father and the Son. Jesus said, I only go where the Father tells me to go. How did the Father tell him to go there? The Spirit compelled Christ to go where he went. The Spirit is the action agent. The Spirit is the omnipresence of God. When we talk about God being everywhere. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And God says, when you come to me, and I take your punishment on the cross, and you take my perfection, I give you something that's so much more amazing than you've ever known. It is my spirit lives inside of you. And then all of a sudden, we have access. We have access to know the things of God because we have the spirit of God, the same spirit that that hovered the waters of creation, the same spirit that was there when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the same spirit that brought Jesus back to life, the same spirit that came down as tongues of fire on the early church and people spoke languages they had never heard of, the same spirit who was filling people so that they could heal the blind, raise the sick, raise the dead. This is the same spirit that lives in you and me, the same spirit who knows exactly how many habitable planets there are, the same spirit who knows down to the number how many stars currently exist, how many are in the process of supernova, in the same spirit who knows every molecule within, in all of space, the same spirit who knows every crazy creature at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, the same spirit. God says, I'm going to put it in you. This is the wisdom of God, and the only way to know it is to have a, that peace of God living within you. I love, um, I love marriage. And it's the craziest thing when someone begins to know you. It's the craziest thing. Like, my wife and I don't finish each other's sandwiches. um, But we just kind of know each other. And I don't know, maybe you don't like your spouse. Maybe you hate them. That's, call me. We'll help you out. But um, my wife and I really like each other. Like, it's been 12 years. And I've told her a number of times, like, I'm very shocked that I still like you a lot. It's just weird. And we, we kind of know what the other one's thinking. When something's going on at the house, we can do that thing that some of you married couples do where, like, a kid does something, and you both look at each other, and you do the eye communication. And in that eye communication, you say, like, oh, it's your turn, or no, this is your job description. You go handle that. It was, it was funny, though, because we've been married for 12 years, and and yesterday I was like, in my mind, I was like, whoa, my wife and I, we're not, we're not connecting. We, were, we took the first module of this foster class. By the way, if some of y'all don't join me, because we're going to do, the, my wife and I are doing the classes here. We had to take a, a makeup module that we're going to miss, but we're doing almost all the classes here at the chapel. This Thursday, come here, please. Love kids for Jesus. That's the end of that pitch, okay? Um, we're on the way back from our foster thing yesterday. It was way out in some boondock country called Lutz or something. And um, on the way back from Lutz, we were, Lutz, Lutz, I don't know. We were talking about it. And initially, I've been praying for my wife for years. Like, Lord, change your heart. Help my wife to want to foster kids. I want to adopt the kids. How many kids, Lord? All the kids. How many kids? I'm like a cheerleader with Jesus. And he's just like, yeah. And then we go through this class. And first off, I didn't know they were all Jesus people. So I was like, okay, that's, I don't know how this is going. And Don was teaching part of the class. So I was like, if you out me, I'm going to out you. As, I don't know. I, just, I was like, leave me be. Let me be human today. And we went through the class. And we're leaving. And Amy's like, all pumped up and excited. And she's had reservations for quite some time. And I've had zero reservations. We're leaving the parking lot, and all of a sudden, she's like, oh, what'd you think? And I was like, I don't know. I kind of feel weird about it now. I'm s- it's kind of scary. I got some reservations. She's like, what? 
for all these years. You're the one. Love the kids. Which kids? All the kids. And now I'm like, oh, I don't know. Are we ever going to foster a teenager? It's like, I don't know. I need to practice my demon casting out powers. I don't know. Because we just jumped in in the middle of this class. So, like, we, didn't, we hadn't done the first modules. We're going to do those this Saturday. The one we jumped in on is, like, can foster teenagers date? What do you do if they're dating somebody of different religions, sexual persuasions, orientations? What do you do if they bring this in the house? That's our first class. Oh, uh, like I wouldn't take any of your teenagers, let alone a foster teenager. And God's like, oh, really, fruit fly Ryan? <laughs> My wife and I just whiffed on each other. Just, I was like, She's like, I'm going that way. And I'm like, no, we're going to do kids. And then we cut out of the class. And I'm like, I'm going that way. And she's like, what? No, we're doing this now. And I'm like, I'm trapped. <laughs> now I have to do it. Otherwise, shame and pastoral failure. And I'll feel like a terrible person. I don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. You can come to all the classes and not have to do it. You can come to all the classes, get licensed, and still not have to do it. But the wisdom of God was this. It was like, I've got this plan to get Fruit Fly Ryan on my, my, my squad. I plan, I'm going to talk about it before the ages begin. It says, before the foundations of the world were laid, Christ was crucified. That's the secret plan. And the secret plan is, it's not just this transactional perfection for punishment. It's also now, we get the spirit of God, the very mind of God. And you think, well, I struggle with prayer. Just think about how much God knows, and then you'll realize, I could pray for so much more than I thought. I could ask God, God knows everything. Well, Pastor, I've tried that. I've tried to pray, and it doesn't seem like God answers. Just keep waiting, because there's billions of people praying to God. And just, God says, bug me. He says that in the Bible. That's a legit translation from the parable of, of the, the unrighteous judge and the widow. It boils down to God saying, bug me, bug me, bug me. I want you to just bug me. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. You can't know it unless you have the Spirit of God within you. Verse 12 says, now we, now we have received not the Spirit of the world. We don't have the world's way of thinking. We don't have the way of thinking that excludes God, that neglects God. We don't have that way. It is the Spirit who is from God. That's who we have. We have the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely. How are they given to us? Freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, not taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is, this is sobering for me as a pastor. My ability to communicate cannot change you. My ability to communicate or inability will not get you to be a spiritual person who is growing in Jesus. There is only one way, and it's if the Spirit of God jumps into your life and begins to change you from the inside out. The natural person, verse 14, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. People that don't have the Spirit, I can try to convince you. I can try to give you all the arguments for God. But at the end of the day, if the Spirit of God doesn't say, I'm coming in. You're just going to say, eh, kind of dumb, kind of culty, kind of stupid, whatever people want to call Christians, science deniers, bigoted, whatever, phobic, something. Eh, I don't know. That's not for me. And I, I can try. 
I mean, I could lay out some legit arguments for some things. I could talk about sexuality and gender identity like till I'm blue in the ears. I've got an airtight uh, argument that I use every time I talk to somebody with love and kindness about abortion and, and end of pregnancy issues. I've never had someone say, well, uh, here's your argument and here's my response to that. No, that's because I study these things, but that's just not going to help. The only thing that will change us is when the Spirit of God comes upon us and gives us the mind of God within us. People outside will say it's folly, and they're not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? No one. But we have the mind of Christ. So for every sermon, for every conference, for every Bible study, for, for every spiritual discipline thing, there, there are markers that you can put in the sand to help people, but there's no lasting change that will happen unless the Spirit of God indwells you and begins to change you. So all I ask today is that you would be open to that. You may be thinking, I don't know, spirituality, like I just want to make up my own rules. Okay, fruit fly, you do you. I'm t- I was tired of it. So instead, surrender. The, the wisdom of God is the wisdom that would not crucify Christ or that, w- that would kill Christ. The wisdom of God is the wisdom that would, that would give yourself over to Christ, over to his mercy, and say, Jesus, you did this for me so that I could be with you forever. The wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of God, is only had as a free gift given to you. You can't earn it. You can't think it. You can't become brilliant enough to attain it. It's a gift, and you receive it. If you don't know where to start with that, it starts with giving your life and saying, Jesus, I believe it. I believe that you died for me. And God, I'm here to live for you. The reason we're fostering isn't because we want to be these super Christians. Although it's easy to do. If you want to be a super Christian, here's how you do it. You tithe more than 10%. You join a microchurch. You foster kids. You pray a lot. You say thee, thou. You say Father God in your prayer all the time. People will look at you and be like, that is a Christian. The Bible says, here's what a Christian is. You throw yourself in the mercies of God. You receive the free gift that he gives you of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The spirit of God then lives within you, and then you become a more loving, joy-filled person, patient and kind, gentle and faithful, self-controlled. This is the wisdom of God. And I pray that you would open yourself up to that today to stop trying to make up your own rules, to stop trying to fruit fly your way through this mega life that we have, because it's only one, this shadow that we're living in. It lasts for two seconds. It will be here and gone, and you'll stand before the Lord of glory one day. And those who are spiritual, those who have the spirit within them, will stand as beloved sons and daughters. And those who have rejected God over and over and over again will stand as they stand in this world leaning on their own wisdom and understanding. Let's pray.